Hear me? Am I on? <gasps> Yay. Okay, let me get my stuff open. Well, it is such a wonderful blessing to be here with you all. And I love the music that we sang tonight, that God's love never fails, and that God's love is relentless. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. Did that just go up a little bit? Is it too loud? Good? Okay. <laughs> It says, therefore, when I speak God's word, the microphone, <laughs> just like that. God wanted you to hear that. Um, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, the men and women whose stories are recorded in this book, the stories of faith that have been written by God, that have been lived by extraordinary people. And what I love in God's Word is that it's so real. When we talk about that God's love never fails, that God's love is relentless. When I read the words of the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3, probably, I think, one of the saddest chapters in the entire Bible. And Jeremiah says, he has seen his whole land be destroyed. And he says, I am broken. My life is shattered. I feel like I have been thrown away. And he says, my strength has failed. And my hope, my hope has failed. So real. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. God, hold on to me. And that's all Jeremiah can pray is hold on to me in my wanderings, because I am so lost. But then, he says, I remembered the steadfast love of the Lord indeed never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in thee. Did you, do you know those verses, and did you know they were right in the middle of probably the saddest chapter in the entire Bible? When he says, my endurance has failed, my strength has failed. I love how real God's Word is. I love how real the testimony is of these faithful witnesses. That when they were broken, when lives were shattered, that they turned, they kept faith, God kept hold of them. They held on to their faith. Hebrews says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, everything that holds me down, everything that encumbers me, everything that holds me back, and the sin which clings so closely to us, anything that tangles my feet, anything that trips me up, let me lay it all aside and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who is writing the faith story. And I don't know where you are in your faith story, but every person in this room is a miracle of faith because faith is always a miracle. And even if you're just here because you had nowhere else to go this week and your parents said you couldn't come home, even if you're here and you're wondering, is this true? Where is Jesus Christ? Is he real? Can I trust the Bible? You are on that journey of faith. You are a part of God's story and God is writing your story and you are a miracle wherever you are in that story. People in this book, they set aside their fear, they set aside their doubt, and they set aside their pride. And they fix their eyes on God, the Creator, and their Lord. To walk in His ways, their eyes fixed on Him, being a part of His story, allowing Him to write their faith story. The setting for my story is broken. 
it is sometimes a dangerous road. It's definitely a broken road. And there is an enemy who is waiting. He is waiting to attack faith, and he is waiting and working to hinder the work of God at every opportunity that he has. But the author of my story is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all who dwell in it. All it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Tonight, I'm going to share, Dan and I are going to both share. We're going to share with you just a chapter from our faith story. I want to start just at the beginning of 2013. As I began my journey through the scriptures, I came upon a verse in Psalm chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, will not forsake those who love you. And I stopped in my quiet time and I wrote in the margin of my Bible. This verse just gave me a blessing and a warning and a point to pause. When you hear the word of God, you know, the scripture says that, let me hear what God the Lord will speak for he will speak peace to his people. God speaks through his word. And that morning, that verse really spoke to me. I knew it was a blessing, and I knew that it was a warning. And it certainly was a warning of days of trouble. And I want to say right now that God, every moment of this journey, has been a stronghold, absolutely perfect in his faithfulness. That was mid-January. On February 18th, our youngest daughter, Annie, was viciously attacked and raped. She was in her, the spring of her sophomore year, or her freshman year of college. This event plunged our family into a place of pain. Some of you may understand, you may know someone, or you may have experienced that kind of a vicious crime. As a mother, as a father, but as a mother, my heart, it plunged me into such a place of pain and darkness. I can't really explain it. Jeremiah's words in Jeremiah 4, he says, my anguish, my anguish. I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. He says, and I cannot keep silent. But Psalm 139 says that even in the darkness, that darkness is not dark to thee. And God was so faithful through those months of pain and darkness for me personally and for our family. In May of that year, of 2013, Annie, in her struggle to recover, in her struggle to heal, which still continues today, she went with her soccer team on a missions trip to Brazil and Paraguay. And on that trip, she shared literally with hundreds of young women who have faced that kind of pain, that kind of suffering, and gave testimony of hope and faith. When Annie returned home at the end of May, God had definitely met her there on that trip. And yet we, we knew and we all knew and continue to know that this is a long road of healing in a person's life. 
I had felt a sense of, well, the anguish continues not, it has never gone away, it has not gone away, but I looked ahead and just felt this sense of what, where are we headed now, Lord? Well, we had something exciting to look forward to, the birth of our grandchild, our, my oldest daughter, Abigail, was expecting her first child in June, in mid-June. And so the plan was that Annie would come home, that we would buy a car for her. She needed a car for school. And then we would drive her car down to be with Abigail, who had tearfully said on the phone several times, Mom, when can you get here <laughs> to take care of me in my last weeks of pregnancy? Annie and Abigail are the dearest, the dearest of friends. And so Annie was going to stay down in Waco with Abigail after the baby was born and stay there for a couple of months during the summer. On June 11th, it was a day of last things. We had decided that we would leave on June 11th to drive to Dallas or to Waco. On that morning, Dan left at 6 a.m. for a business trip. And I sat down at my table where I, I met with God each morning. And I wrote, today we leave for Texas. A new chapter, we have a grandchild coming. I do not know what these days hold. I do not know the story. Jesus is the author, the perfecter of our faith. Annie's story, the story of healing and faith. And I went in the word. My heart was so restless and, and so full of dread. And I went to Psalm 131, and I wrote, These words are perfect for me today. My soul is humbled and bowed down, and all I want is you to let you control my emotions, my thoughts, my words, to live without fear because you are my father and protector, to rest in the safety of your love for me and my family, to focus my mind and my heart on you. Not anxious, fretful, fearful, or grieving, not occupied with things that are too great for me, too marvelous, too unthinkable, and too uncontrollable. All the things that I cannot control to calm my and quiet my soul before God. The assurance of knowing that God is with me to walk into this day with faith, to enter into the rest of faith. I had such a sweet time that morning on June 11th. And when I got up, Annie and I, our plan was to leave around 10.30. And so I finished doing some packing. It was about 7.30, and things were in pretty good order in the house. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go and take uh, our dog, Lucy. Lucy is a Bernays Mountain Dog. I'm going to take Lucy for a walk. We live out in the country. We have a mile and a half loop that we walk with Lucy. We'd walked her the night before. The plan was not to walk her that morning. But I was kind of ready to go, and I thought, I'm going to take Lucy on one more walk around our beautiful loop that we had, have walked for 19 years with our little children, with all our dogs. As I headed out the back door, I have a stack of verse cards. I love to memorize and meditate on the Word of God. I don't know if you like to do that, but ever since I became a Christian, I grew up in a non-Christian home, and when I discovered God's Word, I just wanted to hide it in my heart. And so for over 40 years, which you can't imagine 40 years yet, but <laughs> I have been memorizing God's Word. I just grabbed three cards off the top of that stack as I headed out the door, and I stuffed them in my pocket. I got Lucy, and we headed out the gate and around the loop. 
And those verses, I came back after that walk. It was the most beautiful morning. It was cool, but the, it was just crystal clear. The sun was shining. It was the most wonderful walk ever. I came back and I wrote down those verses that were on that card. Isaiah 57:15. I am the Lord. I am high and lifted up, but I will dwell with you with all who, whose hearts are bowed down. Isaiah 30, 15, in returning and rest, I bet you know this verse, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. And by the time I got home, my heart was so incredibly at peace. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak. He will speak to his people. He will speak peace to his saints. And boy, he did that morning. Annie got up around 9.30, and we drove out of the driveway at 10.30 that morning. And as we drove out down our dirt roads and out to the freeway, we talked about the fires that had ravished the other side of our city a year, a year earlier. You could still see. Annie said, Mom, I can still see the signs across the freeway of that fire. Little did we know that in one hour, someone would set a fire two miles west of our home. That firefighters would stand and watch the fire, seemingly harmless, not realizing that winds would kick up, the temperatures were up in the 90s, unusually hot, and that the wind would sweep in at the most unpredictable moment and sweep that fire north and east And with 60-mile-an-hour winds and a 120-foot wall of flame, that fire burned over 500 homes. It was around 3 o'clock. We had just crossed the Texas state line when a friend called me. And she said, Patricia, do you know? Do you know that there's a fire in the forest? Of course, we we had no idea. We had no news that night except that a fire was raging throughout the forest. And um, on June 12th, I sat early morning in that hotel room where we had spent the night on our way to Waco. And I asked God, has our house burned to the ground? And I went back to Psalm 131. Things too great, too unthinkable, uncontrollable all the things I cannot control, and I will calm my heart and I will calm my spirit before the Lord my God. And God, I have walked with you for over 40 years, and you have always held on to me, and I will hold on to you, because you are my stronghold. And thou, O Lord, will not forsake those who love you. And I asked God, am I walking in Isaiah 43, when God says, you are mine, and you will walk through the fire, and you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Well, we didn't have any news that day. We arrived at Abigail's house that afternoon on June 12th. It was later that day that our son was able to find online an aerial photograph of the heart of the fire. And it was absolutely clear that our home was gone. On June 13th, I sat in the Lord, with the Lord in Abigail's home. And I wrote these words, our lives are scorched and burned down. I feel as though I am erased. I try to grapple with what what on earth does what on earth and those words have taken on such an incredible meaning. What on earth 
do those words, do, do I feel? How do I comprehend this? I feel erased. It's as if we never lived. This home that we lived in for 18 plus years, every memory, every, every tangible thing that speaks of who we are and what we've done and, and the joy and the sorrow and the, the love and er, everything that speaks of generations past in our family is gone. I stand before, what? Is it an empty life? I don't even know the right words. It's not a valley. It's not a mountain. What is it, God? It's just a black hole in my soul. You only have the light that I need. And all I could think of was wait on God. This is his story. This is not my story. This is God's story. And this is the door of God's will. And this is the door of God's blessing and his rest. And this is the door for you. In Hosea, it says, in Hosea chapter 2, that God will make the valley a door of hope. And then I wrote these words. When we stand before God's throne, we will hold nothing in our hands. All we will have to show for this life is what we hold in our hearts. Lord, teach me to number my days that I may present to thee a heart of wisdom, a heart filled with your word, a mind that was steadfast in faith. Faith in what cannot be seen with the eyes, only with the heart. And ears that listen to your word, your spirit, your voice. And when I stand before you, when I stand before your throne, my prayers will be there in a golden bowl, and my tears will be there, saved by God, precious to God. Ten days after the fire, Abigail delivered her baby, Jude David, nine pounds. <laughs> it's a big baby. Abigail's a very tiny person. But shortly after the birth, through um, some unpredictable events through some warning because of some warning signs that were not recognized. About two and a half hours after Jude was born, Abigail was in a severe life-threatening crisis. Just some miscalculations and unusual circumstances. And Abigail came very close to bleeding to death that night. And as we sat and held that baby, all of us, while Abigail was in surgery, you know, all I can say is what Jeremiah said. Crash follows hard on crash. And the whole land is laid waste. And suddenly, suddenly everything in my life is gone. But Abigail did recover. God was perfect in his faithfulness. And Dan and I waited there for about a week while she and the baby were in the hospital fighting infection. It just was one thing after another. But once Abigail was home, by now, the fire, it had been over two weeks. And Dan and I had to fly back to Colorado Springs to meet with our insurance adjuster who was there for the, the last day. And that day we walked on what had been home, eight inches of rubble and iron 
and ash. We sifted for over 100 hours, probably. Um, we did recover just one or two things. My mom's diamond that has been restored. But there's not much you can save when a fire burns at over 3,000 degrees until it just has nothing left to burn. Shortly after... Um, while we were still in the process of, of sifting through the rubble, we, um, we had a, a man come to assess our site and um, to give us an estimate on the debris removal. And we listened to him as he came on our property and he looked at the ash and the rubble and the, the steel, the burned, the charred. And his words were so incredibly traumatic. And that night we went back to our hotel room and Dan sat in the den of that room and I think we had eaten our 12-pack um, Taco Bell tacos. That was kind of our go-to <laughs> meal for a couple of weeks. And uh, I went and I locked myself. I didn't lock it. Didn't lock the bedroom. While he searched the internet for rental property so that we could get out of the hotel. And I wrote the story of that day and what that man said to me. And I entitled it, Walking Through the Fire After the Fire. Hot and sweaty, covered in ash, digging through the rubble of my home, searching for any treasures that might have survived 3,000 degrees. I listened as he assessed our site for debris removal and demolition. And in the end, he said to us that this was a blessing. He said, you lived here for over 18 years. Your home was old. It was probably outdated. And now you can downsize and you can modernize and you can update. I just sold my home, he said, for over a million dollars. And it was only on the market for 21 minutes. You're blessed that your home burned to the ground. I couldn't speak. Dan couldn't speak. My mind was trying to comprehend his words. My heart was crying out. You don't understand how much I loved my home or how much God loved me in this home. I raised my three children here. I shared thousands of meals with family and friends. I laughed. I cried. I rejoiced. I grieved. I sang songs. I worshipped. We watched movies. We read books. We studied God's Word. And we all grew up in what looks to you like a pile of ashes. You don't understand how I loved the feel of my old pine floors under my feet when I came down the stairs in the morning, my maple floors, not my pine floors. How I long to turn on my favorite lamp. How I long to sit with Dan in those two old chairs that belong to my great uncle and aunt and drink coffee and pray and talk and weep together. Early in the morning, year after year, you don't understand how I long for my old Bible that was all marked up to search for an old book in Dan's library, to look at an old picture capturing a Christmas memory. No, you don't understand how blessed we were to dwell in that home for 18 years. I'm not blessed by my home burning to the ground. As I sift through the ash... I am blessed by my husband's love. I am blessed by a friend 
who stands beside me covered with ash. And I am blessed by my Savior's hope within me. Many of my neighbors almost lost their lives. But we are alive, and God is with us in our grief, and God is with us in our homelessness. In a world that is turned upside down, in a world that has disappeared, a lifetime that has disappeared, God is beside me, and His love fills me. And in this place of pain, I am safe. And in Him, I am blessed. His presence is my reality every minute, every step, every day. Through the fire, after the fire, God is with me, and I am blessed. I'm going to turn it over to Dan. Sorry about that. Can you hear? What Patricia is sharing is just an excerpt, really. You know, when I was um, 18 years old and uh, coming to the United States from Japan and arriving on uh, the University of Texas campus and not knowing a soul to 45,000 people, I, I never expected, you know, that God would meet me so furiously and so lovingly that I'd be invited to study the scriptures the very first day of class. And, um, and the truth of his word um, just stunned me. And I, and I left in tears. And I knew that I'd entered into something, but I never imagined the story that would come out of it. And, uh, and, and, and those of you that have heard our stories before, there's other chapters, and that's for another day. But I wanted to kind of um, bridge what P Patricia was sharing about this recent chapter from this year to really what, I want, what we want you to be thinking and praying about the rest of our sessions together. And um, so, I, you know, so I'd like to back up to... Um, the whole time with uh, Annie back in February because I think for me as you know as as a dad it was just absolutely devastating it, it's sickening and um, but nothing else mattered except to let this dear sweet girl just know how precious she was and how much her father loved her and, and, and in the story, I began to understand through all of these things that as we were going through them, that our faith was not just about how to get through things, but God was bringing us to a place where we were beginning to understand things about the heart of God towards us that we never understood before. And, I, and it never hit me to understand how furiously and intensely God loves us. As, as when we began to kind of process with Annie the healing that she needed. And, 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 to, and to tell her over and over again, sweetheart, I love you. Just know I love you. And I think that, you know, one of the, one of the things that I want to share with you is that a part of our story is really a, that unfolded throughout the rest of the year was this incredible opportunity to tell people through an incredible pain in the days ahead, that God truly, truly loved them in incomprehensible ways. As Patricia said, I got up at 6 that morning. I landed in Naples, Florida for a business meeting um, in the afternoon. And um, by that time, 
this was happening at the street corner right, up, right about a mile up from our house. And uh, our home is on the other side of that, in the middle of that smoke, that we were near ground zero of this fire. And the flames were just burning out of control. Uh, our neighbors in our area literally had less than two minutes to escape with their lives. As a home a half a mile away would explode, and in two minutes, the flames would be at their doors. And they would literally be flying out of the driveway in their cars with the walls of flame on either side. As you can see here, this is the, the road that we, the kids drove to school all the time. And so here I was on the beach, <laughs> thinking about this, talking on the cell phone to Patricia when she sent me that text message that she had, uh, the quiet uh, of the message from the Lord, saying that when we stand before God in heaven, that we won't have anything in our hands except what we hold in our hearts. And, and, and really the perspective of God beginning to speak to us and say, these are not just events. These are stories. This is a story that I'm writing, not only in you, but through you. And so, you know, we, we continued on. The fire raged for several weeks. There wasn't anything we could do. You know, this was the aerial photograph this, uh, that um, my son Andrew had sent. And that's our home. That was the charred spot there. We knew it was gone before the insurance companies and the authorities did, thanks to Andrew's kind of digital <laughs> snooping, you know, uh, of the area. And so when I landed back in Colorado Springs, I flew straight from Colorado, uh, Florida back to Colorado Springs uh, to begin the insurance process. There wasn't anything I could do to see the home at that point because the fire was still going. And I got off of the airplane and I took a picture of my suitcase and I thought, that's all I've got left in the world. I had more than that when I went off to college. Probably, you know, probably more than when I was born even, you know. But it was an odd sensation to drive around and thinking, you know, we really live as pilgrims in this world. You know, we really, we really are not from here. We're just passing through and we have certain things in our hands that God gives us to, to bless us and to allow us to be a blessing. But I thought, you know, God, you are really calling us to a lightness of life now that we've never thought about in a long time. I went down to the emergency disaster relief center and you couldn't believe just people wandering around. Austin, uh, Colorado Springs was like a refugee camp with over 500 homes hit like this. And people were just stunned. I did go by the neighbors who had rescued our dog, Lucy. <laughs> even the animals were traumatized and even the animals are still having emotional problems even to this day. And, and then the community started gathering together to kind of figure out what do we do? What do we do? Nobody knows. This is a whole group of people that are all affected by the fire, all families that have lost it, talking to city officials, and nobody has an idea of what to do. You ever feel that way? You know, when you're going through something and you don't have a clue. Well, there was a whole auditorium full of them. And then the first aerial photographs, as the fire swept through, you began to see what was really once a forest was no longer. And so then I went down, and the next morning, and, and, and was, this was a couple of days later after Abigail had begun to come back around, that we were finally able to smile and gather around Abigail and Jude. And a grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Loving her baby. And so finally we got back to Colorado and this was the first view of our home. And I, I kept thinking to myself, now I understand what it was like for Job to sit on a pile of ashes. You know? And just literally, and then for the next three or four weeks, we literally just sat in the piles of ash. Looking back at where the kids used to play. And in the ashes just trying to find something. One of the first glimmers of hope for us, really, too, in first work, because it was, it was a lonely several weeks for just us, except for one or two of Patricia's friends that came by, was that the Southern Baptists, as well as the Samaritan's Purse, uh, mobilized disaster relief teams. And there were some, some 80 different teams from Baptist churches around the country that came to Colorado. Volunteers, all of them, 
you know, mostly retired folks. Most of the guys are pretty good with some heavy equipment. And this team from Tennessee came out there. And, and I'll tell you, an, a, a more servant-hearted and a more gentle group of people we've never seen that embraced us, hugged us, cried with us, prayed with us every day. The men doing the heavy work while the, the wives helping sift through the ashes. And, and I would just say that they helped almost 300 different families in our area. And I can't tell you the number of people probably came to Christ, including our neighbors across the street that we'd been witnessing to and ministering to for a number of years. And so this is some of the work that they were doing, just clearing dangerous trees and sifting through the ashes. And I guess one of the points that I began to think about, too, is as God was doing this to us was, you know, we do live in a world where people are all sifting through and living in a pile of ashes. And it's a lonely, lonely place to be. And as you think about the people on your campus and your families and the people in your neighborhoods, is there somebody that we just need to kind of get into the ashes with just to love, pray with, you know, and help them dig through the stuff and to just be there as a quiet presence of hope? It meant everything to us, you know, at that point in time. And as, and as we kind of came through it, I just want to kind of get us to a close here. And this was, the big, this was the big thing that God began to speak to me through the year. He said, through the situation with Annie, through the fire, through the near loss of Abigail. He says, can I entrust you with these trials? Those of you that heard our story before, know that 25 years or so ago, almost 30 years ago, we went through an incredibly difficult time. And it was the first time in my life since I'd come to Christ that I, I was literally on the point of losing my faith. I was waking up every day thinking, this is either a colossal joke or it's real, but I can't be in neutral about it. I have to decide today which of those statements that I believe. And as we came through it, Somebody said, you lost your hope, but your hope didn't lose you. And that was, at that point in time, that was a test of faith. Will you believe me? And God did something remarkable this time, because I don't think that either of us in this period of time, in spite of all these things that had happened, stumbled in our faith this time. But it was God this time saying, can I entrust you with these trials? Can I entrust you to be faithful to me and let me use you and show you who I am and show others who I am. And as you're thinking about what you're going through today, you know, some of you are facing a test and you're thinking, can I believe God? Can God be believed? But for others of you, God may be saying, I'm going to take you through this. You do believe me, but can I entrust you with these to understand really the value and the power of what I am doing through you right now? Patricia referred to the fact that Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. This is a story that he's writing in our lives that began before time began. And, and as I began to think about the story and the things that God was doing in us, I realized that he is writing in each of us a book with no wasted words and no wasted chapters. You know, a lot of times, you know, when we write stuff, you know, you write a paper for class or something and you're trying to make the limit in terms of the word count or whatever. And, you know, you kind of fluff it up a little bit, right? But when you think about your daily life and even the mundane and the ordinary things about your life, as well as the big things and the things that don't make any sense and the things that seem unbearably evil and wrong and harsh, we're here to tell you God is writing a masterpiece in your life and there's no wasted words, no wasted chapters. There's no loose sense. And in, in the way of the great novels where there's lots of threads and things like this that are going on, there's coming a point in time too where all the threads come together and we'll see. But right now, you know, you may be in the early chapters of your life. Hopefully we're just in the middle chapters of our life. But I think that the big thing that we're learning about all these things is even though you naturally will say, why me? Why our daughter? Why our other daughter? Why us? You know, and all of these sorts of things. 
you begin to understand that there's just this presence of God that kept telling us, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I have a plan, and I have hope. And as we began to see this, and as we began to process internally, we began to see that it was a book not just for us to read ourselves. It was not just a story or a letter for us to read, but for other people to read. You know, a lot of times when you come to faith, you're working really hard to, how do I communicate my faith? You know, how do I persuade others? How do I convince others? How do I kind of inspire others? Believe me, God's more interested in that than you are. And what we're finding is God is saying, will you just let me write my story in your life? And I will write it in such a way that people will read it and want to read it. And when they read that story, they will see me. And so this has been our year. Afflicted in every way, not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. Feeling pretty close to it sometimes, honestly. But the reality is not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. And as we've read this book in our lives and we've been reading the story, you know, what we've been seeing is that we're learning a lot about the heart of the author. And so what I'm, so tomorrow, Patricia's going to share more from the scriptures in terms of how God has written the story deeply into the lives of a couple of the biblical characters. And then for my last session, what I'd like to do is share with you some things that I've learned about how do we, how do we cooperate with the writer of the story to write that story together. Turn with me here, just kind of in conclusion to Psalm 66 here. Whoops. Let me just leave that. Psalm 66 was a passage that when we were going through this period of trials, you know, several decades ago, that God really spoke to me. And, and it's interesting is that when we started kind of going through this situation again, God brought it back around. And so I'm just going to read this as a meditation and then we'll conclude here. But it says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. I love these verses. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. I love the word there. Because where did they rejoice? As they were passing through those seas. Who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out into a place of abundance. And I'll pass down here to 16. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. That's really the essence of the story, is that God, you know, as we're thinking about how do we live more to this life, it's not about just kind of going through it. It's about fully engaging with the author who's writing this story in you. And what he wants to do is take every word, every chapter, you know, every paragraph of your life and create a story that, you know, you're going to want to tell. That you're going to say, come and hear what God has done for me.
And I, I, and I fear that a lot of us in our busyness and, and, and in kind of our actual disengagement from the Lord in, in this kind of personal way really are missing out on the story that God is telling us. And so my appeal to you tonight is just respond to the author. What I'd like for you to think about here, just quietly in your hearts, is if we really believed that the great author and perfecter of our faith was actually writing in you a story that could be told to the nations, how do we think differently about our relationship with God? How do we think differently about every day that we live, every encounter that we have, every moment that we have? Would it be different? What I'd like for you to do is just, in groups of twos and threes real quick, just take a few minutes here, just a minute or so, is I'd like for you to share with one another what, your, what you think, your li- how your life would be different if you really believed that, that the great author and perfecter of your faith was really trying to write a masterpiece in your life. And, and he's not wasting any words, any moments, any days. What would he be? How, how, would, how, would, you, how would you respond to God differently? Think about that. Just kind of discuss that really quickly with each other. Hey guys, let me have your attention here again. There's some, seems like there's some good interaction going in here. Would anybody care to just share maybe something that came to your mind? How, how would it be different? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'd also say, don't be afraid to ask the questions. We've, we've asked some brutal questions of God, you know, and, and, and apparently he can handle it, <laughs> you know. So what are, what are some other ones? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes you go through something and you don't really understand why you went through that until maybe years down the road, you know? And then all of, sometimes, you know, years down the road, you, something happens and you realize, looking back, why that happened. But again, that's like a good story, isn't it? A lot of times, you know, the early chapter, you know, doesn't get the resolution until the later chapters, right? 
And, and yet there's all, they're all connections. And that's the thing is that God is weaving this thread of grace and glory through your lives like that. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I think I would live more in the present because I wouldn't be worried about, uh, like, a lot of times I, I think, like, if I can only get through this to get to that, because I think that what I'm doing now is meaningless and compared to what's going to happen. That's um, right. I think that I end up, I don't know, wasting a lot of time or, like, not concentrating on things in the present. Yeah. I, I think I think that's 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 an outstanding point because I think I mean you know I mean when you're when you're in college you are thinking about your future I mean I think hope some of you are anyway you know <laughs> thinking about your future but I think at the same time we do and I think that's one of the things that happened while we we're going through here is, is this kind of reduction to the present that happened to us and literally we physically couldn't do anymore we would have all these things that we'd have to get done and we would just kind of like it would be overwhelming. And so Patricia and I would say, says, this is what we do today. And if we get done, you know, by two o'clock and we're exhausted, we're done. <laughs> but we live today, you know, and, and, and we focus on today. And that's something that's really come out of this. The other part of it, kind of to hitchhike on your, th your thinking here, is that the people that enter into my life today are the people that God put in my life for today. And so people that we wouldn't normally be thinking about, you know, the guy that you buy the mattress from, <laughs> you know, we walk in and, and, and the day we get the rental, the insurance company calls the rental company and says, well, you can't, you can't rent these people their house. And we're thinking, but we don't have any place to stay. Well, we haven't done our pa the paperwork with the rental company. So the rental company calls back and said, look, this is not right. Just come by, get the keys, move in. We'll worry about that later. So then we're looking at each other and thinking, okay, we don't have anything to put in. We don't have a bed. You know, we got to go get our dog. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she doesn't have anything, <laughs> you know. And so then we look across the street and there's this rental, uh, this mattress company. So we walk in and the manager says, well, you know, what do you need? So we need a mattress. And we tell them the story. And the next thing you know, he's just in tears. And he says, I don't have the mattress that you, you need. But I'll get it, and I'll personally deliver it to you. And he says, in the meantime, you need something tonight. He said, bring your vehicle around back, and I'll strap something on top, and I'll come pick it up on my time off in a few days. And, 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 but I think that everywhere we went, people were saying in different ways, how do you survive? How do you have hope? How do you cope? You know? And, and, and people that are just absolute strangers. And we'll talk more about that. And Patricia's going to share more about that in her workshop tomorrow. But other, other thoughts. These are good thoughts, guys. What else? Yeah. I'd probably be more motivated to live up to being part of the masterpiece. Okay. I'd probably try and like work harder and like know that I was making smart decisions if I knew that it was going to turn out amazing. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Good. What else? It takes the, I think it takes the pressure off of it having to always work out and like in this life, like or to really understand how to endure to know that God's doing something bigger the whole thing. Yep. His, his plan, his purpose. Right, right. Good. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, there's a mystery. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that on the last day. But yeah. But it's kind of exciting. You know, I mean, do you, when you start reading a good book and it's unfolding and those questions and there's unresolved things, it keeps you going, doesn't it? You know, because you want to see how it works out. Okay, I'd like for you to do just one more exercise here. Are we okay on time here? One more exercise. Let's, let's come back to the idea of being in the present, like you're saying, okay? A lot of times, you know, I think some of us are, we're focused on studying, we're focused on work, we're focused on whatever we're going through. Some of us, obviously, are just kind of plodding along toward mediocrity, too. You know, just kind of killing time. But if we really believe God was in today, in this moment, and we were really thinking about what we were going, and maybe we're not going through anything that's really you know, 
horrific and, you know, full of trials. Maybe just kind of ordinary, you know. But whatever it is, as you kind of stop and think and reflect, what, what, what is God trying to write in my life right now? What, what chapter, what episode, you know, what paragraph is he writing in my life right now? You know, what I'd like for you to do is just think about that for a second and share with one another what you think God is doing in your life right now to help you know him and help you become a story that he wants to share with others. Okay? So just kind of think about that and reflect on that with one another. I know it hurts to think sometimes, but... Let's, uh, let's do this. If you wouldn't mind now, just praying with one another and just asking God to really help to let you be surrendered to him, to let him write his story in your life. And for you all really to be stunned at the fact that he would do this. I mean, it's, it's amazing that each of us has been chosen to tell a story. And so why don't we just pray and just, you know, as God prompts you, pray for one another, pray for whatever, you know, God touched you with this evening. And, you know, and if you're, if you're somebody that's really been deeply hurt and gone through some of these tragic things, you know, just know he really loves you. He's, he's furiously there. He's intensely there with you as your father. So let's 
You all pray, and then I'll close here in a second, okay? Let me close. Father, I just pray that you would just fill our time. Fill our hearts and minds, our spirits with just an absolutely astonished spirit. Astonished because it's just incredible that you, you would be taking the time to take all that we are, all that we go through, all that will come, and create a story, Lord, that will praise you, and Lord, be a story that can be told to the nations. I pray that, um, you know, we come here with lots of things in our minds, lots of distractions. I'm sure just tired too from the press of school and all our commitments leading up to this and just even the trip up here. But I pray that you would just refresh us. And in each day as it goes by this week, you would help each of us to become more and more aware of you, more and more in tune to the, your voice speaking to us, and that you would continue to soften and enlarge our hearts, Lord, so that uh, you have a fuller and richer place in our lives. So, Father, I just thank you for the incredible privilege of being here. Lord, I just, um, Patricia and I, we, we really, it's not our words. Uh, what we say is forgettable. We want everybody, ourselves included, Lord, just to hear your words and your voice. So help us, Lord, to be really in tune with you this week and change our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.